You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. We're having our series break for today. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 31. It says here, right, so again, this will be a teaching slash preaching, so it would be best for you to open your Bible and take notes, and trust me, it will be worth your time. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 31. It says here, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from all from an evil conscience, and our bodies to washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another, and not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verse 26, for if we go sinning on deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay and again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall under the hands of the living God. So if you study Hebrews, study book of Hebrews, you'd understand that there it is like three things rolled into one. Right? Commentators would say that this is a book that is to be understood as a theological document, heard as a sermon, and read as an epistle. So these three things rolled into one. Right? The author wrote the book of Hebrews to exhort the believers to persevere in the faith by highlighting the supremacy of Christ, right? I want you to keep that in mind, the highlighting the supremacy of Christ. Now, why? Okay, why did they need that kind of encouragement? Okay, why did they need that exhortation? Because many of the believers or the Jewish believers were slipping back, right? They were backsliding to the rituals of Judaism in order to escape persecution. I want you to take note of that context, all right? They were backsliding because of persecution, and they were went back to the rituals of Judaism in order to escape that persecution. Now, I like how Dr. Walter Martin says this, the author of Kingdom of the Cults. He says it this way, The book of Hebrews was written by a Hebrew to other Hebrews, telling the Hebrews to stop being Hebrews. So, the book of Hebrews was written by a Hebrew to other Hebrews, telling the Hebrews to stop acting like Hebrews. Right? Now, why? Because... The Lord Jesus Christ is far better than the Mosaic Law. We'll get into that later. The Lord Jesus Christ is far better than the Mosaic Law. Now we get to understand they were backsliding, all right? Because they were being persecuted because of their faith. Today, we don't see that much persecution, right? At least in Dumaguete. And certainly not to the same extent, the same level of persecution. Or beaten or burned to death. But there's nothing more than that, right? I'm not saying there is no physical persecution today. Definitely there is. Especially in restricted countries, there is persecution happening today. But in our context, Victory Dumaguete, or in this city, there is none like that. 
So we might not have severe physical persecution in the city, but we do know of people who are, maybe even ourselves, you know, slowly drifting away from the Lord. Even if there's no persecution, some of us are actually, you know, slipping away from the Lord. Now maybe the enemy has a different tactic for us, right? Instead of persecution, maybe the enemy gives us fleeting pleasures. James 1, 13, 15 says here, Let no one say he is tempted. I am being tempted by God. For God has a tempt with evil, for he himself tempts no one. Verse 14, get this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Alright? By his own desire. Then his desire, and it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when fully grown, gives birth to death. So here's my point. Whether it's through persecution or whether through pleasure, bottom line is, people are slipping back to their old lives. We get to see that today, maybe even in ourselves as well. Persecution was to the early Jewish Christians, the audience in the book of Hebrews. It could be pleasures of our sinfulness, or it could be shame. Whatever the context may be, these things are, may or are hindering us from our communion with God. These things are hindering us from our communion with God. So the question in everyone's mind right now is, how do we endure? How do we hold on to the faith? How do we persevere? How do we remain steadfast in the faith? Let's answer that question today. Let's go to verse 19. It says here, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. It says there, but to enter the holy places. Now everything that the author of Hebrews writes on chapter 10 is leading up to this. Therefore, it is a conclusion. Or the author is trying to conclude here. Right? So entering in the holy places... Or in verse 416, it says here, in the throne room of God or in our inheritance or our great reward. In short, what the author was trying to say is about heaven. It's about heaven. So all of his arguments so far, all of his points was leading up to this. The point is, a great reward for us, which is heaven. Right? Now we can't even begin to describe accurately what heaven is like. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says here that what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man can imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. Whatever I use to describe today pales in comparison to what heaven is like, right? But Bible gives us a glimpse of what heaven is. It's a place of no more, right? No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. Gold will be as common as rock. You know why? Because something is even more precious there in heaven, more precious than gold, and that's God Himself. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Get that? Fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Not fleeting pleasures, but pleasures forevermore. Right? So heaven is such a beautiful place. But here's the problem. We don't deserve it. Apart from Christ, we have no share in that. We have no inheritance in that. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have been a separation between you and your God. So we cannot stand in the presence of God in our own, in our sinful state. We cannot stand before the presence of God. We will be consumed by His righteous wrath against sin. Right? So why then does the author claim in verse 19 we can have confidence to enter in the holy places? Why? Because of Jesus' blood on the cross. Jesus finished in substitutionary work on the cross. That's the reason why we get to enter in the throne room of God with confidence because of Christ. Okay, I get that, bro. That's good news. Where's the bad news there? 
What's the problem there? Remember the audience of Hebrew? What was their problem? Their problem wasn't persecution. Their problem was their response to persecution. Right? Persecution will always be their friends. Even Bible teaches us that it will happen to every one of us. Right? But the problem was their response towards it. They were what? They were going back to their old ways, going back to the ceremonial laws that was given to the people of Israel to be made right with God. In other words, they went back to offering sacrifices instead of Christ. So their problem wasn't persecution. The problem was their response to persecution. Right? Ang response, ang problem nila. That's why in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 10, the author corrects them. It says here, For since the loss but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities. Right? So in other words, the ceremonial laws were a shadow of the real thing to come. They were not the main thing, but they were just a shadow of the real things to come. Right? The sacrifices were not an end of themselves. They were meant to point something greater. They were meant to point the perfect sacrifice. So, as it continues on here, it can never, by the same sacrifices offered continually every year, it can never what? It can never make perfect to those who draw near. These sacrifices will not be able to make perfect to those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. So these animal sacrifices symbolize the payment of sin, but guess what? It did not accomplish it. The sacrifices, the animal sacrifices symbolized the payment of sin, but it did not accomplish it. Verse 3, but in these sacrifices, there is what? A reminder of sins every year. So, in other words, God establishing the ceremonial laws of offering, you know, a sacrifice every year was to make Israel realize how sinful they truly are. Verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So no animal was worthy in paying the price of man's sin before an infinitely holy God. There was just no way ang lamb makapay sa tong sin. No way. Right? It's meant as a foreshadow of what was about to come. The innumerable sacrifices the Israelites made was to show one thing. How man is totally wicked and sinful and how man is in desperate need of a Savior. How man is wicked and how man is in need of a Savior. That's why in verse 5 it says here, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but what? A body you have prepared for me. The incarnation. A body that you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and offerings you have not taken pleasure. But verse 7, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. As it is written in the scroll of the book. Let me pause right there. This is why Jesus Christ is the only one capable of paying our sins, friends. Jesus not only died for our sins, He also completely obeyed the will of God. That's why only He alone is able to pay for our sins. Because if someone is also a sinner, guess what? They will also be, you know, punishable by death. But Christ is the only one sinless. That's why He's the only one capable of paying our sins. Now verse 10, it says here, And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. What is the whole theme of Hebrews again? It is what? It is the supremacy of Christ. It's all about the supremacy of Christ. If we get to read Hebrews chapter 10, the first part, in Hebrews 10 to 1, it says, it highlights what? Jesus Christ asked the better sacrifice. 
In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 to 14, Jesus Christ, the better priest. And Hebrews 10, 14 to 18, it talks about Jesus Christ as the better covenant. So Jesus Christ, the better sacrifice, or should I say the perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ, the great high priest. And Jesus Christ, the better covenant. This talks about the supremacy of Christ. And before I go in further, remind me again, what's the problem sa early church nila? It was the response to persecution, right? The response was to let go of their faith in Christ and went back to the rituals. That was their problem. Now, to make this relevant for all of us today, in face of persecution or fleeting pleasures, what is our response? In the face of pleasures of this world, what is our response? Is it to basag Bible para bawi pogi points the Lord? What is our response to these pleasures? These fleeting pleasures? What is our response? Well, let's see. Anger issues, Timo. Guess what? How do we respond? Do we do you run away from God? Or do we run towards Him? Pornography. Whenever you do these things, how do we respond? Do we run to Christ? Or do we hide from Him? You know, there's only one response to these friends. It's to run. The question is, where is the direction we're running? What direction are we running here? Are we running towards God or are we running away from Him? We all know what Adam did in this scenario, Genesis. He hid from the Lord, right? Our situation is so much better. Why? Because of Christ, now we can have confidence to enter the holy places. Now we can have confidence to go to God, to run to Him. Right? I was meditating on Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I just love this verse. It says here, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace. Find grace to help in time of need. What a great encouragement that is, friends. Let's draw near to the throne of grace that we might what? Receive mercy and find grace. This was not available to anyone except those who are in Christ. What happens if we don't run to Christ? What happens if we run away from Him? Okay, I'm glad you asked that question, bro. So verse 26, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Oof. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. By the way, on context, Annie is about rejecting Christ, huh? rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Because again, only Christ is the one that can bring us to the throne room of God by His work alone. So if we reject Christ, if we go on sinning deliberately, guess what? After receiving what Christ done for us, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sins. You are rejecting your only Savior. Verse 27, But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. May this verse sober us up, friends. If you're in a drunken stupor right now, may this verse sober us up. Verse 28, it says here, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, or NLT says rejected, and NSAB says ignored, Anyone who has set aside, who has rejected, who has ignored the law of Moses, dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Guess what? How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled on the Son of God? Who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? So, is this a comparison right here? Moses, Christ is greater. If we deserve death by rejecting this, how much more this? Christ, look how aggressive the tone here is how much more worse punishment do you think 
will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed and has outraged the Spirit of grace. You know how aggressive that is? Punishment, trampled, profaned, and outraged. Guess what? Verse 30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, It is a fearful thing, friends, to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I think I need to expound on that. Scripture is very clear. So, okay, bro, I get so running away from God is not an option. And sinning deliberately is even more worse. So that is something that we should not do. So what should we do? What are we to do? Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us stir up one another. Verse 22, 23, and 24. Let's go back to verse 19 muna. Therefore, brothers, since you have confidence to enter to the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So in other words, we draw near to the Lord. We draw near, we run towards Christ in our sin, in our wickedness, guess what? The sin you did five minutes ago, ten minutes ago, we run to God. We run to Christ because He is the only one that can transform us, can save us. So how does this look like practically? Let's say you did blank again. You fill in the blank. You know what your respectable sins are as what Jerry Bridges put it. Let's say you did blank again. Now what? We run to Christ. We repent. We ask for forgiveness. He will pray to the Lord that He will change our ways. If you think that you have outsinned the grace of God, guess what? You don't know how good of a Savior Jesus is. If you think you have outsinned the grace of God, you do not know how good of a Savior Jesus is. Let me quote from a prayer from one of the Puritans in the Valley of Visions. I stumbled upon this last night. It's really, you know, beautiful. It says here, Though my sins rise to heaven... Your merit soars above them. Though my righteousness weighs me down to hell, your righteousness exalts me to your throne. Your righteousness exalts me to your throne. Man, that's beautiful. Number one, let us draw near. Number two, verse 20, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. In fact, if you continue reading to verse 11, you get to see the hall of faith. The hall of faith as what scholars would put it. Mga, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Moses did that. All those things. Well, we get to see here men and women who persevered up until death, even until the end, because they were holding on to the promises of God. They were holding on to the word of God. That's why they persevered until the end. Faith endures through hope in God. Faith endures through hope in God. The term there, confessions of our hope, talks about what? Teachings on Christ, His work, and the promises of God. In short, doctrines, theology. Now hear me, how can we be unwavering on something that we have no knowledge of? How can we have confidence 
and holding on to the promises of God if we do not know anything about them. Alright? Friends, reading our Bibles is a basic Christian necessity. We ought to do it especially during this season. We are so disconnected from everyone. In other words, faithful and unwavering embrace of sound biblical doctrines. Unwavering embrace, friends. Us having the confidence to hold on to the promises of God. I remember a conversation Matt and I had, I think, last month. We were talking about Kohanba. Beauty of technology. Because if you think about it, no? Today, distance and time means absolutely nothing. Why? Because today, because of technology, we can listen to a teacher or a preacher from other side of the world in an instant. Time has no, basically has no meaning. Why? We can get to listen from the authors from hundreds of years ago and still be ministered by them. It's an amazing thing. So what's my point here, friends? We have no excuse not to learn. In fact, the early church, ang recipients, ani, they were encouraged to what? To hold fast to the confession of faith. Guess what? They had no access to these things. Right? The early church did not have access to these kinds of resources and yet, the author still exhorted them to hold on unwaveringly to their confession, the confessions and the creeds. And lastly, we have here to stir up one another. So again, first one was we need to draw near to the God. Secondly, to hold fast. And lastly, to stir up one another. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I believe this is what Kuya Mav preached last week about how we should encourage one another. I like how NLT puts it this way. Think of ways to motivate one another. Think of ways to motivate one another. Motivate to do what? To love and good works and to encourage one another. There is no such thing as a churchless Christian. Right? Let me say that again. There is no such thing as a churchless Christian. Adi kudra. Puro mga hypocrites. I mean, you're welcome to join, bro. You'll fit right in. Why do people expect perfection, di ba? Nananasa langit. Here, we are still in our brokenness. We're still in need of a Savior. I have a quote here from Charles Spurgeon. It says here, The church is not perfect, but woe to the man who finds pleasure in pointing out for her imperfections. Christ loved His church and let us do the same. I have no doubt that the Lord can see more fault in His church than I can and I have equal confidence that He sees no fault at all because He covers her faults with His own love. That love which covers a multitude of sins and He removes all her defilement with the precious blood in which washes away all the transgressions of His people. I love that. Let me end with, with this in verse 35. It says here, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward, for you have need of what? Endurance. How do we endure again? Three things, right? We hold on, we draw near to God, we hold on to the confessions, teachings and we stir up one another for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised 
Verse 37, For it a little while, a coming one will come and will not delay. And my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now here's my prayer for victory. Verse 39, But we are not of those who shrink back. Amen? We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. Ultimately, friends, Christ is the one who perseveres us. He who began a good work in us is what? Is faithful to bring it to completion. Again, we hold on to these promises of God so we can endure until the end. Faith endures by hope in God. Faith endures by hope in God. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.